Good morning, church. Man, what an exciting morning to be together with family of God to celebrate our risen Savior like we do every Sunday, coming together to lift his name on high in praise, dig into the word of God to discover how we're called to live, uh, and just be together to encourage each other on the journey. What a great morning to be together. Amen. We're excited to have our guest here today as well. Thanks for joining us, being a part of our assembly this morning. And our hope would be is uh, that you've discovered Jesus Christ in our midst. And uh, maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love for you to consider being a part of our Crosspoint family to help us tell the story of hope that is Jesus Christ. He does make all things new, and we want to share that story with the world around us. He is transformative, empowering, loving, and forgiving. And we love that about our risen Savior. So thanks for being here today to celebrate that very thing. Uh, We are going to be in Luke chapter 14 this morning, and I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments. All of our text will be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 14, as we're in this final uh, session uh, talking about coming empty. And what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ, emptying ourselves so his spirit, his nature and character can fill us up? Because that's truly who we want to be. We want to look like Jesus Christ. And so we've dug into Jesus' ministry using the gospel of Luke over these last few weeks, and we'll finish up with that today. You know, as I prepared for today's message, and it's empty to be filled, because we want to be filled with His Spirit, I was doing some research and just uh, kind of digging around on the internet, and I found this really cool story uh, called Landfill Harmonic. Now, there's a small village in Paraguay in uh, South America where a music teacher wanted to start a music school. Uh, and so we got there, established the schools, pulled in students, but they didn't have any instruments. Uh, and so uh, Fabio decided, let's go out to the local dump and just dig through and see what we can find. And that's exactly what they did. They went to the local dump and they found oil cans and oil drums and boxes and strings, all kinds of different things that had been thrown away. They took those back and they put them together to create cellos and violins and drums. You can check it out on YouTube, Landfill Harmonic, uh, not during the sermon, afterwards. Um, check it out. It is a great story, but it reminded me of what God does for us in our life. He, he takes those of us that have been broken and don't seem to be mendable, those of us that have been thrown away. And he goes and retrieves that, and he makes something useful and beautiful out of us through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, what a beautiful picture for us, church, that no matter how broken we think that we might be, Jesus Christ still loves you, and he still pursues you. He wants to be a part of your life. And so we've dug into this story of Jesus Christ, trying to figure out and discover how do we empty ourselves? How do we become more like Jesus in the process? And we've acknowledged along the way that all of us are broken and that Jesus takes those broken pieces and he mends them. He puts them back together. And we discovered through the story in in scripture that God only uses broken people. And so what a great moment for us to realize we can be used in the story of God, even in our brokenness. That, that we come humbly before the throne of God, and even as we come in on bended knee, that Jesus Christ elevates and raises us up. And this morning, we're going to talk about how Jesus calls us to, to empty ourselves so that we can be filled with his spirit. Because what we discover along the way, church, is that God has to do something in us before he can do something through us. 
And so we want to surrender to him to let him change us internally, to let him be within us to to make all things new. Because we know that we've got to be transformed inside before we're part of that story and he can use us in the world around us. God loves to fill empty things. And in our story, we're going to discover that today. There is a great story in 2 Kings chapter 4 concerning the prophet Elisha. Uh, There is a widow that comes to him And uh, her husband, who's now deceased, used to be one of his servants. And so she comes to Elisha saying, listen, we've got creditors at the door, and they're threatening to take my two sons if I can't pay the debt that's owed. And Elisha says, what do you have in your house? And she says, I have a small flask of oil. He says, what I want you to do is to go into the village where you live, and I want you to scour all the neighbors and ask your boys to collect all the empty jars that they can find, bring them into your house, shut the door, and begin to fill those jars with that one flask that you have. Once they're all full, you can sell that oil, pay off your debt, and then live on what's left. And so the woman went home with her two boys. They got all the empty jars they could find. They took them into their home. They shut the door, and with that one small flask of oil, they began filling those empty jars up to the brim, one after the other. And the oil just kept coming. And mom says to the boys, bring more jars. And they say, that's all of the jars. And the text says that the oil stopped flowing at that moment. You see, God loves to fill empty things. He loves to pour into our life when we feel empty and useless and used and broken. He wants to pour into our life. But for so many of us, our jars are already full of other things. How can he possibly fill a jar that's already empty or that's already full? For those of us that are thinking through this idea metaphor about the empty jars, what's the one thing that has to happen in order for a jar to be filled. It's got to be empty. And so as we dig into our text today, we're going to discover along the way what it means to empty ourselves so that God can fill us up. And for many of you today, you have come this morning with empty jars. For whatever reason, life has thrown you a curveball. Things haven't worked out like you had hoped Nothing is working out like maybe you thought it might, and you are here absolutely empty. You're hoping and praying for a message from God, from his word, from the Holy Spirit to pour into your soul just through the worship that you would be filled with his presence. You've already come empty this morning, and other of us, others of us have already come this morning, but our jars are full. And we're already looking at our watch, wondering when we can leave because I've got things to do. I'm full of my work and my relationship, the stuff that I have to take care of. Frankly, I'm full of me. And if that is the case, it's going to be really difficult for the Holy Spirit to fill you and pour into your life if we're full of ourselves. Week number one, we dug into Luke chapter seven, where there was a Pharisee and a prostitute. Jesus was invited to a meal. He comes to the house and he's not warmly accepted. He's not warmly invited in, but he comes in anyway. And almost right behind him, a prostitute comes in and she falls at Jesus' feet, broken, desiring to be filled and made new again. She has with her a 
a perfume bottle that she empties out metaphorically on Jesus' feet, symbolic of her own emptying herself so that God could fill her up. And in that story, Jesus reprimands Simon the Pharisee but raises up the prostitute who's come broken and in need of God's love. Week number two, we dug into Luke uh, chapter 18, where the story again is a Pharisee and a tax collector this time. They're at the temple and they're praying. And the, the Pharisee is standing in the limelight, in the center of everything, talking about how awesome he is, how spiritually deep he is, how much he is looking like God. And the tax collector stands at a distance, humbled by his own brokenness, knowing that he needs God in his life. And Jesus, in the moment, reprimands the Pharisee, but lifts up the tax collector. And we'll find ourselves in Luke 14 in a moment, gathered around yet another dinner table. But what we discover along the way as we dig into the story of Jesus is that Jesus loves to fill empty spaces. I mean, take a look at John chapter 6, and Jesus is there teaching and preaching, and yet the number is 5,000 people are present who have some empty stomachs. Now, we know that that's just the, the head count for the guys. There are more people there than 5,000, but yet somebody offers bread and fish, and Jesus breaks it and blesses it, and everyone is filled to capacity. There are even leftovers from the meal. We see Jesus in John chapter 4 where he meets the woman at the well midday because she has no friends. She's currently living with a guy that's not her husband. Jesus knows that, but they begin to talk about worship and what does it mean to come before God in a holy place. Jesus offers her holy living water. And by the end of the story, she is in town inviting the entire village out to see the Messiah, the Son of God that she's discovered. Jesus fills her with blessing. We see in the home of Jairus' daughter. His daughter is very sick and ends up dying. But Jesus fills that house with joy because he enters that home and he raises that daughter from the dead. We see the woman who's caught in adultery in the middle of town, brought to Jesus' feet and thrown down. Everyone already has a stone in their hand. They're ready to go ahead and put her away. And Jesus fills her life with hope by raising her up and letting her know that she is a loved person of God. Encouraging everyone else to throw the first stone if you don't have sin and they all walk away. Or the story with Jesus in his first miracle, John chapter 2. He and his family and his friends go to a wedding feast And he's not ready to to be known in the moment, but mom comes out, Mary, and says, Jesus, we've run out of wine. Why don't you take care of that? And he said, Mom, it's not my time yet. And she simply looks at the servants and says, you just do whatever he tells you to do, like most moms do. So Jesus says to the servants, I want you to go get those empty water jars over there. Go fill them with water and bring them back, which they do. And the first cup out of one of those jars is given to the host. And the host says, you saved the best wine till the end. Jesus loves to fill empty spaces with goodness. And he fills our space with goodness as well. 
We find in Luke chapter 14, Jesus again being invited to a dinner by a group of religious leaders, a Pharisee, and he enters the space wanting to interact. They begin dialogue and talking about the day's events, how ministry is going, when suddenly a sick man enters the room who wants to be healed, but it's the Sabbath. He's got problems with his legs, with his arms, and Jesus looks at the religious circle that is there and asks them, is it okay that I heal this man on the Sabbath? And there's dead silence. They're trying to listen to Jesus. They're trying to paint him in a corner. They're trying to corral him. They don't want to give him any answers. I think he looks at them and he says, now, if it was the Sabbath and your son fell into a ditch or your prized donkey fell into a ditch, wouldn't you go out even on that day and help them out of the ditch? Of course you would. So he turns to the man and he heals the man on Sabbath. The man goes on his merry way, but it's a dinner party. And so everyone begins jockeying for positions of greatness at the table around the host, the one who's provided the dinner and offered their home. And Jesus lets everyone know, listen, you don't go sit in the places of greatest authority. You go find the the least place to go sit. And when the host sees you sitting there, he'll invite you to a different place at the banquet table. That's how you you work that system. You don't go to, to the most important place, but wait for the host to invite you to the place that needs to be. But the Pharisees have not come with empty cups to this meal because they're very full of themselves. What you and I have to realize in this story is that the banquet table is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for where God meets our greatest needs. It's the place where God comes and tends to us and fills us. We see that over and over in the the story of God throughout the Bible. We see that at the banquet table of the Passover feast, a feast that's been celebrated for hundreds of years, even today in Jewish culture. It's it's a celebration of when God rescued his people from Egyptian bondage and took them out of slavery and brought them to the promised land. And every single year, the head of household tells the story about how God filled his people with hope. And they sit around that table And they are reminded of how incredible God is in their story. And then we see that Jesus, in the last moments of his life, took that very meal, that very banquet, the Passover, and turned it into something that we as Christ followers observe every Sunday, the Lord's Supper. We gather around the Lord's table in that moment. Why? Because it's the exact place where God took care of our greatest need, celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, we dug into and finished up the book of Revelation, and we find at the very end of that book the great banquet hall and celebration that is going on in heaven. Jesus Christ is the host, and all of those that, that called out his name and that follow him are present. Satan has been banished. Death has been banished. All evil and sin has been been banished. There's nothing there but the goodness of God because the table is where God meets our deepest needs. And he invites each and every one of us to that table. It's the place where people come and they're filled by God. Our story begins in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. 
A man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guest, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. Husbands in the audience say nothing. (laughs) Verse 21. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. And we have to realize in our story that the man or the master is God and the servant is his son, Jesus Christ. We are the invitees. We've been invited to the banquet. Now, Matthew also tells a very similar story, but in his story, the servant is killed by those that he has gone to invite to the banquet. And we see by verse 18 that everyone is already making excuses of why they cannot accept God's invitation to the table. Excuse number one, I bought a field, and it's a reference to personal gain. You and I get caught up in this Western culture, this Americanized culture, and we think that we have to buy and own just about everything. We own so much stuff that it doesn't even fit in the garage anymore. We have to rent a storage place to put it. Our current TV commercial climate indicates a presumption that you and I feel empty. They offer something on TV, and we watch that commercial and think, man, if I just had that thing, life would be great. They're not very confident in their own thing because they'll go on to say, but wait. (laughs) Order one, and we'll send you another one, as if the first one wasn't good enough. (laughs) If we just had that one thing, my life would be full. I would be content. So we live in this consumer-based culture that really indicates and calls out to us and says, if you're not happy, you simply need more stuff. You need to go buy more stuff. Go ahead and get into debt so you can keep up with the Joneses. And if there are Joneses here today, I apologize. (laughs) But it's how we as human beings deal with emptiness. If I just buy one more thing... It'll take care of that gnawing I have. But what we discover along the way as followers of Christ is there is a difference between being full and being fulfilled. And church, only Jesus Christ can fulfill us. There is no particular thing in this world that if we had it, it would just complete the picture. It will not work because God's created in each and every one of us an innate desire to have a relationship with his son. Jesus Christ is the only thing that will ever fulfill us in life. 
And Mother Teresa has this quote about us Westerners, and she says, the spiritual poverty of the Western world is much greater than the physical poverty of our people. You in the West have millions of people who suffer such horrible loneliness and emptiness because we put our trust in things rather than the Almighty. And we refuse the invitation to the table because we think something else is going to make us fulfilled. But then we have excuse number two. I bought some oxen, and it's a reference to work or responsibility. We are just busy, busy people, aren't we? We just don't even have any margin to do anything extra. We've got all of our time and our space filled up. The New York Times in 2012 did an article called The Busy Trap. You've heard this a hundred times. Maybe you've said it too. I know I've said it even out here in our own comments. How are things going? Oh, man, it's just busy. I'm just slammed. I mean, I'm going all the time. I'm traveling for work. I'm four or five nights a week. I'm bringing work home with me. Things are just crazy. It is busy. I don't have a lot of time because my jar is already full. But we're not just consumers of stuff either. We're also consumers of entertainment and information. You know, the average American watches about 1,000 hours of TV a year. What could we do for the kingdom of God with 1,000 hours? Or each and every one of us have time online. Every American on average spends about five hours a day online my age or younger. And I won't tell you my age, but there you go. If you're a smartphone user, traditionally within 15 minutes of waking up, you're already consuming information from the internet and from social media. Within 15 minutes of waking up, we just want more. But maybe that busyness we have in our life is really a hedge to protect us against feeling empty. And we just think, man, if I just go all the time, if I'm just jet-setting and I'm over here and I'm over there, then then that must mean I'm important. It must mean that, that things are going well for me. I mean, I'm just slammed, and so that's a really good thing. Rather than understanding we've been invited to the table of God and we need to leave margin so we can interact with him. And so many times I think that our busyness really is a way for us to escape thinking about our own mortality. I don't want to even think about life without me. I'm just too important. But then you have the third excuse in our story. And it's, I just got married. And it's a a reference to relationships. Because you and I, if we're honest, I mean, in our lives that we, we tend to appoint other people as Jesus Christ in our life. This person is going to fill me up. This person is going to do wonders. This person is going to make me whole. Everything is going to be great with this one person. Jesus, thanks for the invite, but I'm going to rely on somebody else to do what only you can do. I'm going to lean into that relationship. That's the one I'm going to put my arms around and grab hold of. There there was a group that put together the, the 10 most romantic lines from movies. The number one romantic line in this particular gathering was from a 1996 movie called Jerry Maguire. 
Anybody ever see Jerry Maguire? Don't be, don't be shy. Put your hand up there. You know you watched it. Well, my wife forced me to go, right? So Jerry is Tom Cruise in the movie, and, and he is leaning into his own career. He's starting things off. He's a sports agent, and so he is just digging into his career. He's trying to build relationships with other people, other players, other folks going on, and he is just swamped, but he still doesn't feel fulfillment. And then in the movie, he meets Renee Zellweger's character, I think her name is Dorothy, and realizes, oh, this is, this is what relationship really is all about. And he believes that Renee is the one. And so they go through the movie, they fall in love, and at the end of the movie, he says, you complete me. That is a really sweet way to end a Hollywood movie. But every married couple here this morning says, no, she didn't. (laughs) We end up betting ourselves on someone else only to, to discover that there is still emptiness in our life. I put everything on this one person and they're still not fulfilling me in churches for this reason. Jesus Christ is the only person that will ever complete you. He's the only person that will ever make everything come together for you. There is no one on the face of this planet that has ever been created that will complete you. No one. It's only Jesus Christ. So the invites to the banquet have been given out, but those that have been given to were saying, no thanks. My jar is full. I've got other things going on. I'm pretty full of me right now. There's just not much room for your invitation, God. My my cup is full of work or your version of religion or relationships or stuff or me. And so, God, I'm going to have to take a rain check on the invite to your banquet. We see Jesus ascend to heaven in Acts chapter 1. And it moves from this metaphoric language to actuality because we see over and over and over again in the book of Acts that people begin to believe in Jesus Christ, they're baptized into Christ, and they receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, it's no more metaphoric, but it is the reality of Christ living in you. What a joy that is to know, church. And Paul lets the first century church know, and us today as well, as he writes in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Don't wait, but be filled with the Spirit. Nothing else, be filled with the Spirit. Paul calls us to be filled with the Spirit. But if you're already full of other things in life, it's going to be difficult for you to be filled with the Spirit. We're called, church, to empty ourselves like Jesus did so that we can be filled with the Spirit. But for whatever reason, we don't seem to learn that. We don't seem to understand what we've been called to do. We try everything on earth to fill in the void only to find that we still are not satisfied and we're still empty. It's because the only thing that will make your life right is Jesus Christ. Nothing else. And Paul calls us, be filled with the Spirit. 
That particular Greek verb is a present passive imperative verb, meaning that as a follower of Christ, it's not an option. It's an ongoing event in your life that God does to you. And so we're called to pour ourselves out. We ask ourselves today, how do I do that? How do I come empty? And so this morning is a call for each and every one of us to hear the story of Christ and to realize we're called to imitate him. In Philippians that we looked at last week, we're called to empty ourselves like Jesus did. Empty ourselves out and be filled with his spirit. We're called to lean into the story of Christ and not bank on stuff or work or other people to be our identity, but that Jesus Christ would be our identity. That we would understand fully that if we empty ourselves and are filled with the Spirit, then everything will come about just as we hope that it always would. We will be fulfilled, we will have purpose and direction, and everything will fall into place like it's supposed to in the plan of God. But you and I have to make a decision this morning to surrender to give our lives over to Jesus Christ, to turn ourselves up metaphorically and dump everything out that we thought would make life right, to turn ourselves back over and let his spirit fill us. Church, come empty. And what we discover along the way is although that we are broken, he will mend us and use us in his story. When we come humbly before his throne, he will exalt and lift us up. And when we make a decision to surrender everything to him, to let him make all things new in our life, and we come empty before him, he will fill us with his spirit. And so that's the challenge this morning, church, is that you and I will determine today, right now, that we're going to do some introspect. Is it going to be easy? No. No one ever said that following Jesus Christ would be easy. It's actually going to be tough. Because I've got to say no to a lot of things that I wanted in my life that I thought I wanted in my life and say yes to the Savior. And so this morning for us, church, as we sing this next song, I hope you'll do some spiritual inventory. I hope you'll think about where you're at in life and what you need to, to unpack and get rid of in order to be filled with God's Spirit within you. Because it's only then, church, that you and I will find purpose And we'll find the reality of being loved by an incredible Savior who wants to do great and mighty things through us when he's done doing things in us. Let's give God praise as we stand and sing his his name.